want to disappoint him. She wanted to be the first person in the world to cure a neurodegenerative disorder using gene replacement therapy. Pocketing her keys, she went over to the aluminum sink and started to wash up, then thought she heard a scratching sound. She turned the water off and stood listening for a moment. All she could hear was the radio in the distance. Shrugging it off, she grabbed a paper towel and wiped her hands. Taped to the wall above the sink was a list of screw-ups that had occurred in the lab so far this year, and Daisy was relieved to see that her name wasn't on it. Fiona had dropped the agarose gel. Archie had forgotten to switch on the hot lid for the PCR cycler. Carlson had tried to filter water through the hydrophobic filters. Talk about humiliating. To the sides of the screw-up sheet were colorful signs that served as unnecessary reminders. Humane is the way we treat our valuable guests, and mice save lives. Of course, Daisy treated her mice humanely. She loved her mice and gave them the kind of overweening attention that had made her the butt of Carlson's jokes. Daisy and her precious little babies, she loves her mises to pieces. There was a loud noise down the hall now, a thump or a bump, and she spun around and peered into the darkness beyond the door's single pane of smoky glass. Scientists weren't supposed to be afraid of the unknown, were they? She stood poised on the brink of panic, goosebumps breaking out on her arms. Daisy, Daisy, give me your answer, do. Her body began to relax. True it? I'm half crazy. She ventured out into the hallway where she could hear Professor Marlon Truitt's mellifluous voice echoing throughout the corridor. She stepped into the X-ray room and turned off the radio, then checked the tissue culture room. Truitt? She followed the sound of his voice all the way back to her workbench, with its moody printer and terminally ill fax machine, black electrical cords slithering across the floor into multiple sockets. Three benches occupied this side of the lab, along with a shared sink. Daisy's workstation was wedged in between a large, insulated window overlooking the parking lot and a broken autoclave. Truitt stood in his rumpled gray suit and colorless tie in front of the autoclave, trying to lift it off its rusty platform. He was obviously drunk, just back from a scientific conference in New Mexico, and her heart fluttered delicately at the sight of him. "'What do you think you're doing?' she asked in a gently chiding tone. "'Oh, there you are!' He dropped the autoclave back on its base and spun around with the grace of an aging Barishnikov. Why do we keep all this broken equipment around, Daisy? Seriously, what's the point? She listened with a vexed expression. Truitt and his moods. There was a low hum in the air that never went away, and the night pressed black and starless against the window panes. From her second-story window, she could see down into the Boston cityscape below, where the street lamps cast icy streaks of light across the patchwork asphalt. Earlier in the day, 
she discovered the stitch-like footprints of a mouse in a frail arc of snow on her windowsill. Field mice were distant kin to the genetically pure mice they bred inside the lab. So, how was the conference? she asked him. Oh, terrific. Have you ever spent seventy-two hours with a bunch of mental midgets? He waved his hand in disgust. They keep asking the same old boring questions, Daisy. Everybody wants to talk about cloning, for God's sake. Nobody wants to discuss what's never been discussed before. In his mid-fifties, Marlon Truitt had the silver hair and trademark glower of an academic legend. Whenever he walked into a room, there was no doubt in his mind who God was. He'd never been handsome in the classical sense, but now he was very distinguished-looking. He possessed both a monster ego and the kind of power that could be incredibly seductive. Truitt could raise his students up to great intellectual heights, or else crush their hopes with a few carefully chosen words. He could ruin careers, but if you stood right next to him, some of the limelight might rub off on you. It was so damn hot down there, he complained, great furrows opening on his tall forehead. He moved a little too close, his powerful ego looming before her like a boulder about to tip over. The air conditioning wasn't working. We were all swimming in our own sweat, and Munson's given one of his laborious speeches on science and God, when all of a sudden, there's this raging debate going on about genetics and morality, and I'm the bad guy because I want to cure the world's most incurable diseases. I'm being vilified in my own time, Daisy. I doubt that very much, she said. He snatched her hand and focused sharply on her face. God, you're drunk, Daisy, he giggled. Shame on you. Very gently, she reclaimed her hand. Somebody needs a cup of coffee. Shh, keep your voice down. Mice are sleeping. Come on, she said with her best schoolmistress air. I'll make us a fresh pot, and you can tell me all about it. Forget the damn coffee. Give me a kiss. She held his gaze for a moment, then pretended this exchange hadn't happened. Follow me, Professor. I'd follow you to the ends of the earth. There are no ends of the earth. She did her best to keep two paces ahead of him. Truitt was married to another professor at the university, but it was an open secret that he cheated on his wife. Last year, one of the department's secretaries passed around a confidential letter from a woman whom the esteemed professor had met during one of his many scientific conferences. The woman had written, I know I promised never to contact you, but I just had to let you know that last night will be with me forever. Your ideas are endlessly fascinating, and if we ever meet again... It was a startling revelation. But then again, nothing Truett did shocked people anymore. He had the attitude of an adolescent boy, the body of an aging college athlete, an intimidating intellect, and a southern drawl so deceptively down home his competitors had a tendency to underestimate him.
The odd thing was, Daisy couldn't hate him for his infidelity. She understood that this was no ordinary mortal. Truett was bigger than life and could get away with these things. She wondered if his wife felt the same way. Now he followed her obediently into the lunchroom where she switched on the fluorescent lights. Recoiling in mock horror, he said, Oh, God, let's get out of here before I lose the will to live. The harsh light illuminated every dingy corner, every aging appliance. Take a seat, she said. He swayed in the doorway. Some drunk I am. Should I call your wife? He winced. No, don't do that. I'll make us a fresh pot. Don't do that either. She walked over to the calcified coffee machine and dug around in the cupboards for the filters while he took a cautious step inside. Daisy, she looked up. I'm afraid I've got bad news. He sounded serious. We have to abandon the Dahlberg trials. What? She dropped the filters on the floor. Turns out a private company already owns the patent. Stupefied, she bent to pick up the filters. What's happened to the scientific community? He said with a dramatic groan. We used to be so generous with our research. We used to share our findings, Daisy, but not anymore. I remember the days when science was a calling, an actual calling. Now you can't ask for startup funds without consulting the patent lawyers first. We still have Steyer, Zellers, and Rostislav, don't we? He nodded.